This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, Subversity with Dan Zhang. Today we're going to be talking about the passion and politics of coffee. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the web at on KUCI.org. Um, and uh, the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. Uh, we have with us in the studio uh, Martin Diedrich. Uh, welcome, Martin. Good morning, Dan. Good, welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Martin is the ch- chief coffee uh, person at uh, Keen Coffee, and he has a long association with, and uh, was the founder of Diedrich's Coffee here in Orange County. And we're going to get into what happened uh, to that uh, coffee business and why he is running an independent uh, coffee house right now. Um, maybe we could get into that, uh, Martin. Uh, how did you get started into the coffee in the coffee business? It, well, <laughs> in in many different ways. I, I guess one of among many is that I was born into it. Simply, uh, my my family on both sides, my father and mother, were in the coffee trade for generations. My father's family, they were coffee growers in Central America for most of the last century, and that's where I grew up in part on on the family coffee farm, small farm. And uh, my mother's family, they were coffee, tea, and cocoa merchants in Germany since the 1850s, since my great-grandfather's time. And uh, of course, as a a young kid growing up on my family's coffee farm, my, my brothers and I, we had to work the farm just like any other farm kid anywhere in the world does. It was hard, arduous work, uh, no fun. Stand, it's standing up and bending down? Oh, yeah, of course, a lot of that. Uh, it's, it's all physical, manual work from sun up to sundown every day. And um, uh, my brothers and I, of course, all had dreams and, and aspirations to go on and do other things. And, and growing up in Guatemala, where our farm mm-hmm. was, I was exposed to a, a very rich multicultural experience there, uh, among others, the, uh, the indigenous Mayan mm. people. And so I wanted to be an archaeologist and dig up ancient lost cities in the jungles of Guatemala, which then eventually I did. Huh. Uh, lived the life of an Indiana Jones. And then um, in 1982, which was the, the year of just extreme... Um, uh, civil, uh, economic, and political breakdown in the country of yeah. Guatemala. It was an all-out civil war, you know, the, the, the government uh, waging a campaign of genocide against the indigenous Mayan people, the very people who I was studying. And um, and the CIA was involved in it. I, I, presumably, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, um, uh, it was just an extremely lawless time in Guatemala, and a group of thugs came and, and appropriated my father's coffee farm. Um, they wanted it for their own reasons, and mm. my father was, was left high and dry, uh, having rebuilt everything in his life once before, um, after World War II. Now the farm represented everything, and once he had lost that, he had, you know, was going into old age with nothing, so... I decided to put aside my my experience and career in anthropology and my mm. academic pursuits there and go help my family out. This was back in 1983, and so I came to Orange County, 
And um, why why Orange County? Well, my 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 parents had established a base here oh. in in Costa Mesa, uh, going back to 1972. All the while, we still had the farm in Guatemala until, like I said, till 1982. And then um, I I wanted to just for altruistic purposes help my my folks out and get them back on their feet again. And I then created Dietrich Coffee. And this was at a time when, in um, Orange County, nobody knew what an espresso was. And, <laughs> and people would argue vehemently with me that a cappuccino was an alcoholic beverage. Because consider at the time, the only time you'd ever see an espresso machine was, was in a bar. Oh, yeah. And a bartender didn't know what the heck they were doing and you know, concocted some awful beverage out of it and put a shot of alcohol in it to kill it and that was a cappuccino oh, for wow. for people at that time oh. and it's all come a long way since then of course um but i'm one of the original coffee people here in orange county my uh one of my colleagues who had retired uh and frank uh was a librarian and he uh he she she lived in laguna beach and there was a food co-op there and she mm-hmm. remembers going to your first shop uh on the weekly run of several times a week to pick up ground coffee, uh, pick up regular coffee for the food co-op in uh, Laguna. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that back in the early days. So you you supplied coffee to different, even outlets maybe, huh? A, a few, yeah, yeah, a few exclusive uh-huh. ones that, that were you know, really exceptional and special like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did, um, did you, are you, a, were you born like an entrepreneur or do you... Do you feel not the, not that I was aware mm, of. Um, mm. I'm I'm more of a uh, an anthropologist in in nature and, mm-hmm. and an intuitive and and creative. Uh, I didn't realize I had any entrepreneurial uh, drive. Um, that just kind of came along, I suppose, out of the the pursuit of wanting to create coffee excellence. Uh, the way I was was raised with coffee, which was you know, given that I, I grew up on my family's coffee farm is one of uh, my my great assets, one of the things that really comes in good stead, um, which is an experience that really nobody else in my position in the U.S. has. It's it's very unique. So you, even the people, uh, would you compare yourself to the people that started other coffee shops? How, how would you compare yourself? Uh, coffee chains, for instance. Well, uh, just take for example what I what I just said. Um, growing up on a coffee farm, uh, the way that I did, it gave me an understanding what this product is really all about in its essence and where it's from and how to grow it. In other words, um, what what that positions me in is knowing how to really um, find and and acquire excellent coffees in the way that a lot of other people can't. And so when I go to the countries where coffee is grown, I know exactly what what to look for and, and what I'm what I want to have. And even in those days there was no no use of pesticides and, and stuff like that or what? Well, well, of course the you know the, the the pesticides and herbicides and chemical fertilizers were all a product of the green revolution primarily, which mm. came after World War II and rampantly used throughout the world. I think it's um, sort of a, um, a mischaracter- mischaracterization uh-huh. to say that you know all coffee is is laden with with chemicals and pesticides and all of that. Um, certainly, 
some coffees are perhaps, maybe a lot of coffees, but not all. Um, th- this is important to consider that there are coffees grown in different environments. Coffee is very much like wine uh-huh, in many uh-huh, cases. Uh-huh. It grows in many parts of the world. Um, it has, uh, because of that, many different characteristics and distinctions that make each one of them different and yeah, unique. Yeah. Unless, of course, you get into the to the big commercial generic blends that are you know, indistinguishable mm-hmm. one from the other. But when you get into the really fine coffees, which is generally grown in the higher altitudes, much more yeah. rarefied environment, so you have more rarefied coffee versus the, the lowland-grown coffee. Now, those two environments, highland, lowland, they differ very much from one another. The lowland environments are hot and humid, generally speaking, and uh, rife with pests and diseases and all sorts of things that coffee farmers very much are forced to to deal um, with and to control. And they, yeah. of course, often resort to you know, the, the, the most expedient means, and that's pesticides and chemicals. Versus the highlands, where the more refined coffees yeah. are grown, uh, which are much, much cooler, even in the tropics. You know, people don't think of tropical yeah, yeah. environments as being cool necessarily, much less cold, but consider that even sure. you know, on the top of um, uh, uh, the island of Kauai, or Hawaii, yeah, you, yeah. you have snow in, oh, yeah, in yeah. the winter. So the high elevations, yeah. Yes, um, uh, that's very cool, and there aren't very many pests or diseases necessarily, so uh, farmers would much rather uh, deal with, without having to pay for expensive pesticides and herbicides. And and so many of the really great coffees of the world are almost, in some cases, uh, by default, uh, grown organically, even though they're not hmm. necessarily certified organic. And <clears throat> that was the case on, on the farm where I grew up in Guatemala, my family's farm in Antigua, Guatemala, which is... Uh, regarded by those in the know in the coffee trade, one of the finest coffee-growing regions in the world. Uh, So that was my good fortune of growing up in that environment and getting to know great coffee from from the start. What was the elevation there? Uh, Our coffee farm was nearly at 6,000 feet in elevation, Ah. which is quite high for coffee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. i just um, been noticing, um, I go to Vietnam a lot, and Vietnam, Mm -hmm. of course, is a big uh, coffee exporter. And in Orange County, they've been um, some of the stores have been packaging or uh, selling packages of pre uh, instant coffee. And mm-hmm. one of the one of the brands, and I won't say the name, has this um, legend on its uh, on its uh, box: uh, the unique known know how of uh, these coffee beans with European advanced technology. And um, this company's unique know-how, acclaimed by the world's coffee lovers, this instant coffee brings you exotically flavorful and tasty coffee um, range, uh, exotically flavorful and tasty coffee range, extracted from Vietnamese uh, best coffee beans in the legendary basaltic soils of Bong Ma Thot. Well, that that instantly triggers about a hundred things I'd like to respond to. Yeah. <laughs> Each one of them uh, we could cover for an hour, yeah. but uh, real quickly, um, you know, there you see one of the things that stands out to me most immediately is the word instant, and they're making this claim that this is a great coffee, yet it's instant. You know, instant coffee. It's packaged is, with sugar, yeah, with all sorts of other stuff in it uh, that actually doesn't look very natural. 
Yeah, no, instant coffee is usually the dregs anyhow. You know, they, they use the worst of the worst, and because you're, you're not expecting to get anything of substantial flavor out of there. All you want is a stimulating beverage that's going to keep your, your, your eyelids propped open right. for, it, for it, a period of time. It's very strong. As you know, Vietnamese coffee is quite strong. That yeah, way make it. well, yeah. Yeah, we can go into that, and perhaps I'll get an opportunity yeah. to touch upon that. But um, <laughs> the, the, the interesting phenomenon here is, look, everybody in the world is trying to say, my coffee is the best. Yeah. <laughs> and there just simply isn't enough great coffee in the world to go around for all of those people who are laying claim to it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so there, there's a battle that I've often wondered, how do you deal with that? You know, if you're, you're truly among, among the best, and I wouldn't say that anybody can, can truthfully lay claim to having the best, um, because that's all subjective anyhow on a right. matter of definition. But um, to, to, to lay claim to have the world's greatest coffee is, is just an impossible thing to deal with. And so... Um, what I say at Key and Coffee is that yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm going to let all of the other people battle out who has the best. I simply have the most exceptional. <laughs> and and um, uh, the other thing is with, with Vietnamese coffee, um, there is an interesting phenomenon. Uh, Vietnam was hardly a player in the coffee trade um, 12, 15 years ago. It wasn't even recognizable in the top 50 of the world's yeah. uh, great coffee-producing countries. Um, uh, the, the, the very top ones are Brazil uh, today. Vietnam is the world's second-largest coffee producer, um, then followed by Colombia. You know, naturally, everybody thinks uh, Colombia is the only place coffee comes from, uh, given that Juan Valdez made it so infinitely popular. But um, back in, in uh, 12, 15 years ago, uh, the Interdevelopment Bank, <clears throat> working together with uh, a number of, of international development agencies, wanted to get Vietnam back into the economic mainstream of, of the world uh, after the Vietnam War. And they realized that Vietnam was right in the coffee-growing belt of the world, and that was the world's one of the world's uh, uh, great... Economic generating commodities, and so they they um, endeavored to assist Vietnam to develop a coffee growing uh, culture, and Vietnam did. Um, they they had a lot of land available. Um, naturally, some of that land was was occupied by indigenous right. tribal peoples, and yeah. they were forced off their lands and right. wound up in refugee camps in Laos and and in in Cambodia. For sure. And uh, some of the, the, the well-to-do that were in control in the country got this land. And, of course, they had endless, uh, nearly free labor. And you know, it was just at the, the most minimal right. uh, labor expense went into developing coffee. And the coffee variety they were growing was and, and are today is Robusta, which is regarded as one of the lowest oh, quality coffees uh. in the world. And in a period of about 10 years, Vietnam went to zero, zero yes, yeah. almost, to the world's second largest coffee producer. And this, this created enormous instability in huh. the entire coffee-growing world. Um, Vietnam coming in with, with uh, very inferior coffee um, in, in huge quantities created a, a massive glut 
and literally put a lot of the, the finer coffee growers in the world out of business wow. because it changed the global um, balance, as it were, of, of the coffee commodity price. Who, who helped them um, get into this? Then? The Interdevelopment Bank. Yeah, it's oh. the International Development yeah. Bank. They, they, they bankrolled a lot of it in, in a number of big um, uh, development agencies that masterminded uh, this, this whole phenomenon. And it, and it wasn't um, done in order to, to harm the world. People right. didn't, didn't um, I guess, contemplate the, the, the consequences, consequences of, of their, their actions in this way. Huh. And it created huge instability. It was great for Vietnam, but yeah. it was uh, uh, a disaster for much of the rest of the coffee-growing world. Why is it considered low quality? <clears throat> Robusta is one of these coffees grown at lower elevations. It's a... Um, um, you, you might say, I don't want to mischaracterize this either, there are generally two varieties of coffee growing in the world that are economically uh, um, uh, exploited. There's the Robusta, which is what's grown in Vietnam, and then the other side of the coin is the Arabica, which is uh, the more refined variety. Um, the reason I say I don't want to mischaracterize this um, and, 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 and further a myth that a lot of marketeers have exploited for the longest time in oversimplifying things and dumbing it down to the lowest common denominator for um, the, the mass consumer in order to exploit them, um, they, they usually use this, this dynamic of us and them, black and white, and oversimplifying everything. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, robustas are the bad guys, arabicas are the good guys. Yet, what they totally ride over is the fact that uh, only about 40% of the world's coffee production is robusta. Mm. The rest is all arabica. So saying, I have the world's best coffee because I have 100% arabica is no virtue whatsoever because there's simply not enough of the bad guy, the Robusta, to account for all of the bad coffee in the world. It, so so the, the yeah. point is that most of the, the, the coffee in the world is Arabica, and not all Arabica is great coffee. In fact, I have seen some really nice Robusta coffees that are extremely um, more qualified quality-wise, than many really rock-bottom Arabicas are. How, how, how is it high quality, then? Um, well, what the, do you mean by quality? The Arabicas, like I said, they're the ones that grow at the higher elevations, the more refined environments, and they're more delicate uh, to the plants, taste. more delicate, delicate trees, and yes, oh, they okay. have a much more refined flavor uh -huh. in the cup, where the Robustas are really quite raunchy. You know, and that's the the, <laughs> the basis of all institutional coffees. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's, and and again, it's not all all bad coffee is not robust. A lot of bad coffee is arabica. All right. Yeah, we did have an exhibit in the. I work in the UCI libraries, and um, we had an exhibit of Highlanders from uh, the area where they grow coffee where, that were mm -hmm. chased out. And <clears> so, uh, anthropologists uh, had taken pictures during the Vietnam War. Um, he had been in Vietnam with the Rand Corporation, but he was doing his own project. So he took a, he, he had a personal interest 
And so he went around the highlands taking pictures, and then he went back last uh, year ago to for, do follow-up pictures. So we did an exhibit last summer in the library that just ended, actually. Yeah, that was uh, altogether a very tragic outcome yeah. in, in many respects. That, you know, and it points to the fact that, you know, when, when um, you know, uh, big multinational corporations and interests go in to try to um, exploit something, even with good intentions, they're, you know, they're organizations that are so big yeah. that they ride roughshod over a lot of small people and, and issues that they don't take into account, and there's a lot of you know, what we call collateral damage or side damage, uh, which is often very tragic and unfortunate. How how does a coffee uh, that's grown in a developing country say? How does it get on the market? Is that another? Uh, is that they have to somehow get entry right into this? Yeah, that's uh, often very stream. very challenging because um, it's it's dominated um, by well trodden paths and people who've been yeah. there for a long time. Of course, in the case of Vietnam, they got a lot of assistance by by uh, agencies like the Interdevelopment Bank. Um, was having a discussion from uh, a friend of mine yesterday who just came back from the Dominican Republic, an uh. island in the Caribbean, um, that shares island space with Haiti, one of the, yeah. the most impoverished countries of the world. But um, both Haiti and, and um, the, the Dominican Republic, the DR as it's known, um, uh, grow coffee and, and have grown coffee for a long time, very traditional um, um, product from those Origins, and uh, the Dominican Republic is is often you know propped up by by uh, U.S. taxpayer yeah. money, and the U.S. Um, AID um, Agency for International mm-hmm. Development has um, spent a lot of resources, uh, U.S. taxpayer resources, in developing the the coffee crop there, and. Um, they haven't really managed to to do a lot of crop improvement to give that coffee any sort of um, a, a a cachet that makes it more desirable. Um, however, it has helped um, many of the coffee growers in that country to mm. find entry to to um, markets. Um, yeah, more institutional markets. So yeah, yeah. There there are paths. Um, and certainly it's a it's a huge commodity and there's there's a lot of financial interest in developing it in small countries and big countries is it a is it can you improve the soil and get better coffee or how 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 would you if you're already stuck in the climate i mean you can't change much do, do much about the climate but how how do you improve the, the coffee leaves well right. generally there's 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 two two ways um you can uh put a bunch of fertilizer oh. and that's short-lived you know that's the yeah. uh that was the answer to of the of the green revolution which uh we uh-huh. now find out was um uh, <laughs> wasn't as effective as it first appeared to be um because there's a dependency on fertilizers and chemicals that is created by that it's you know much like drug dependency Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the natural method. Um, that's the organic mm-hmm. uh, to do crop improvement by by crop rotation, uh, mm-hmm. by intercropping, which means to grow more than one variety of of uh, plant on your farm versus monocropping, where they just grow one. It's uh-huh. hugely exploitive of 
of the, um, the, 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 resources the the nutrients in the soil yeah, yeah. and and the microbial life in the soil which all plant life depends on uh-huh. um you know monocropping oftentimes they actually like we see it here in orange county where they sterilize the soils of all microbial life which is uh, wow. hugely detrimental to the stability and and the the, the long-term viability of the land yeah um so that uh, the the massive agro industry is is very destructive to uh, the long term sustainability of uh-huh, uh-huh. of our land and of the soil and agriculture. So it's it's imperative that we get back to more more of a natural process that is long term viable. That's what we define as sustainability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, getting back to key and coffee, um, yeah. that's what I'm into. <laughs> right. uh, sustainability. You know, that's what I grew up with on our farm. Our farm was pretty organic. You know, we didn't have the, the means to afford chemical fertilizers and, mm. and a lot of pesticides, so we dealt with it in, in the most organic manner that we could. Uh, my father was very much into that. You know, that, that is one of the beauties of growing up in the way that I did. I became very... Uh, sensitive to the natural processes mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that sustain us all, and farmers tend to do that because they're very subject to the natural vicissitudes of of, of, of climatic fluctuations, yeah. And yeah. weather, and all of those things. Because we're as farmers so dependent on that, and so at, at Key and Coffee, ultimately, um, um, when I created it uh, a few years ago, my wife and I, we decided that what, what we really wanted to be was the, the difference that we believe in and to incorporate our personal values into the way that we do business and to be a, a sustainable business you long-term. Are, you also see the, your coffee shop as a community space. Oh, very much, of course. <laughs> uh, that, that's a different... Uh, yeah. facet to the very same issue. You yeah. know, we live in a society that is increasingly more more fragmented, mm-hmm. um, broken down. The, the, the family units are broken down. The social unit is broken down. The, the social cohesion. You know, there's a lot of uh, social ills in our society yeah. now because of the breakdown of, of the, the, the core of what constitutes society um, or constitutes society. That, that is the family. Yeah, and um, you know we we live in this very very fast fast paced world and 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 society and and it's becoming increasingly more fragmented and and um, I did this with Dietrich Coffee early on uh, that was part yeah. of my original concept um, as it became larger and then corporate and unfortunately all of that went by the wayside by the the the, the corporate administrators of of Dietrich Coffee. And so what I'm and my wife have done with Key and Coffee is get back down to the roots. And it's a small local uh, company. Um, we live within walking distance yeah, of wow, Key and cool. Coffee ourselves. So we have a, a personal vested interest yeah. in the community that we serve. And, and we're doing that through applying our craft, our art. You know, yeah. I know a few things about great coffee, and it's my, my own passion and I, you know, one of the, the, the beautiful, uh, very fulfilling aspects of Key and Coffee for me personally is that by applying my craft and serving my community in the way that I do, the community responds. responds and reciprocates with appreciation. 
and that's a big part of how I get paid in in some regards. Um, that that <clears throat> particular fulfillment of being a craftsman and and having yeah. an appreciative audience that that enjoys what you're doing, and and I think that's kind of what's at the core of the the success of of Key and Coffee as we're experiencing it now, and we intend to forever keep it a small company you don't want it to be a chain you know i've been through all of that and that was nothing but a nightmare with with lots of gut ache and heartache and i don't want to do that again that was that that just went off into the wrong direction altogether and uh, ultimately the company departed from the, the 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 core value and the core creation that had originally made it successful and that's why you don't see Dietrich coffee around anymore on that note we're going to take a um, announcement um, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine you're listening to Subversity Show this is Dan Sang and we're talking with Martin Diedrich who's talking about independent coffee passion and uh, and his being a social entrepreneur uh, on that point uh you um you you you, dep- you parted ways with this uh, coffee beho- behemoth 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 uh-huh. behemoth um and f- at some point did you make a lot of money uh, when you worked for them well <laughs> yeah that's that's an interesting point uh, that's often uh, misperceived um, by the the public in general I, you know the straight answer is no uh, <laughs> uh, uh, very emphatic no um, uh, you know that that often happens um, in in our culture and in in, in a capitalist manner um, the the, the axiom is that the the founder usually takes his wealth uh, <laughs> to the grave. You know, never. Yeah, yeah. In other words, never gets to really use it or or enjoy it. Um, as as the founder of of Dietrich Coffee, um, I got diluted. In other words, um, uh, not diluted in in a in a mental way. <laughs> I mean, Tem- diluted Enticed. in a financial way. And taste. Uh, yeah. No, no. Uh, they they. The, the once the 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 money interest got involved my my financial interest in the company was diluted over and over and over uh, diluted uh, and where in the end i had uh very little um uh financial interest in the company whatsoever and at, at one time i had a fairly nice salary but the 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 first 10 years of Dietrich coffee uh, as yeah. a as a as a founder of a so company like that as, yeah. a, as an as a genuine entrepreneur you don't take any money out right you know, you're 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 sleeping yeah. on your friends sure. couches and you're driving broken cars and you yeah. know whatever it takes to get things going and um so I, I i didn't take anything out of the company in the first 10 years i just plowed all of the resources the financial resources back into it and in in the end, it was um, you know financially is over the twenty three years of my life and heart and soul I put into it. It was generally speaking a financially break even proposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and truthfully, it wasn't ever really a pursuit about finances anyhow for me. Um, early on, I just wanted to earn an honest living, yeah. and I did. Um, I realized that in its early days in the in the 1980s that I had a tiger by the tail 
the su- success of Dietrich Coffee early on was a phenomenon that that I just wanted to see how far I could take it. Um, not for the 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 point or the objective of making a lot of money or uh, building a big company and being executive. I had no interest in those those issues anyhow. And um, so it all took the path that it did, and I departed ways with with um, Dietrich Coffee in in 2004, and so that's nearly four years ago now. And and um, since then, my wife and I have recreated Key and Coffee and gotten back to the the inspirations and the passions that drove me with Dietrich Coffee originally. Anyhow, are you happy that Starbucks is in trouble right now? Or it seems to be. Um, no, I, I, of course I'm, you know, I don't ever take delight in, in anybody's, uh, uh, hardships. Um, you know, what, I suppose what's going on with Starbucks is, is, uh, is a dynamic and a phenomenon they've created for themselves. Um, it, it doesn't affect me one way or the other. Um, you know, I, I think, um, we, we are entirely, independent of of anything that happens with starbucks um in fact uh, we're surrounded key and coffee is surrounded by starbucks and we're thriving uh, i think um we present for our community a a very a, a wonderful counterpoint to the uh, mass-produced concept of, of starbucks you yeah. know that's basically when when it comes down to it uh just fast food coffee yeah, yeah. Um, just like any other fast food product um, in our society now. Sure. Um, in in fact, the whole point of it is speed. You know, speed of service at, right, at right, any right. cost, and and it's all about ultimately, um, as with other publicly traded companies, about profit, shareholder value. Uh, that in the end is what what drives and motivates the the entire operation and process. Where Key and Coffee is not about that whatsoever. But when you were with Diedrichs, was that what they wanted you to do, um, make money? Oh, sure. Once it became a publicly traded company, the uh, the, the bottom line objective was yeah. profit, just like with any other publicly traded company. It has to be. You know, it's the bottom line. It's the quarterly reports that, that drive everything, you know, the, uh. the, the shareholder value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to ask one thing. Uh, when, uh, when recently when the, the Diedrichs on, at UC Irvine... <coughs> Uh, got taken over, you know, totally, was shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, why didn't it turn into a Starbucks? Um, I, I don't know entirely. Um, uh, my my understanding is the Irvine Company, um, you know, who, who owns that property, um, didn't want to put a Starbucks in that location for reasons of their own and uh, wanted another operator, I suppose. I thought um, I thought there's a rule in Irvine about chains that they can't be so close to each other because i had heard the same with a chinese restaurant that that was uh had opened up and so they changed the name yeah <laughs> you know at, at this point um you know those 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 big big kind of issues um don't concern me or interest yeah. me but what i what i can tell you um in in short um is that usually there's radius restrictions what they call radius restrictions where you oh. can't have another another of the same operation with us in a certain radius and to create competition because the landlord wants to make sure that oh, uh, the business is viable enough to pay their rent. 
Oh, 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 I see. Yeah, or yeah. that if it isn't that they, you know, the operator doesn't go off and put all of their, their resources into a competing location and jump ship, as it were. But that's a whole yeah. other issue. Just an, another point on, on this. Uh, when you were with Diedrichs uh, <laughs> and in, in, the, in that location at UCI, across the street from UCI, did, how, how were relations with the buying company? They, um, you know, I never got very involved um, with with all of the real estate and the landlord issues at that, uh, that point. I, I'm the cultural creative. Uh, you know, I, and, I yeah, created it. Yeah. I was the uh, the inspiration to the, uh, the, the 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 whole concept, as it were, the the culture of Dietrich Coffee originally. Sure. And and I, I'm the coffee guy. You know, yeah. I I was the one that sourced all of the coffee and and um, determined the, the coffee roasting standards and how the coffee was roasted and, and the, the brew standards and the preparation mm. standards and all of that. Um, and I, I, I must say that at the time, those were somewhat state-of-the-art, but everything has evolved. And um, sadly, uh, Dietrich Coffee didn't continue evolving. It pretty much in the last years sort of stayed the same. Whereas a lot of other things continued to move on. Now consider that um, aside the technical aspects of, of understanding coffee and the, the technology of the equipment for preparing it, the, the overall thing that might interest the, the listener more is that the whole social context of the mm-hmm. coffee house has evolved over time. You know, now it's become a real hangout kind of a yeah. place. And in the in the early days, it was more of, in in general speaking, uh, just a place to get your coffee. Now it's regarded more yeah. as a hangout. And of course, the the fast food operators like the you know the Starbucks of of the world don't necessarily provide so much of a hangout um, because it's about turning product and right. turning profit. Whereas uh, the independents like like ourselves, the Key and Coffee, you know, we really create more of a an environment that is conducive to staying and hanging out and enjoying the, the coffee and enjoying the conversations you're having with your friend or uh, the other people you might run into there or meet there. Do you think the Wi-Fi uh, development, is that conducive to hanging out or is that just conducive to playing on the computer? Well, <laughs> uh, because I, I know a, at Diedrichs you had... Uh, and were you there when Diedrich started Wi-Fi? Because I know the last few years there was free Wi-Fi there. Yeah, no, I I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, yeah. you, know, you know that that cuts both ways. I think um, um, many of us in the trade in the in the independent coffee house uh, realm are 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 discussing about okay, how do we counter this whole Wi-Fi phenomenon? Because it 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 fosters people to basically um, homestead in your coffee yeah. house establishment and, hours. S- and spend hours and hours occupying a seat there. You know, they're occupying real estate. Yeah, for sure. Um, not that that's bad in itself, but as uh, you know, it it limits the amount of of people able to participate in the environment you've created, and. Um, and oftentimes these people will be in, engaged with their laptop or their yeah. computer, and they're not really having a, a face-to-face um, uh, 
interaction with another human being that includes body language and facial expressions and all of those things. And and this is in part what I mean in that we're becoming a a very, you know, we're a very distracted society. Yeah. And we're becoming more and more alienated from one another. And there's less and less real face-to-face human interaction in our society in general. And it's sorely needed for the well-being and the, the you might say, you know, social and spiritual health of our society. And what we're doing at Key and Coffee is creating a place where people can come back together and, and connect and interact with one another. And you can come into Key and Coffee and see that in action at any time of the day. Well, I have an anecdote about the Diedrichs when, uh, it, when it was open and when it had Wi-Fi, uh, free Wi-Fi. Uh, graduate student in anthropology, actually, uh, saw me next door at the uh, Trader Joe's, and she spent all the whole time talking to me, interacting with me, while her computer was sitting at uh, Diedrichs. Uh, you know, unoccupied, yeah. and she trusted enough to leave it there. I thought it was crazy, <laughs> but uh, nobody took it. She talked to me for twenty minutes and then went back. Uh, uh, apparently, the computer was still there, the laptop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she did want human interaction, and so she so was. She came over to Trader Joe's. To, uh, she was shopping that. there. <laughs> she was trying to grab a drink or grab something. I don't know what she was grabbing. But I don't know what. And I saw her there. Yeah. And I tried to talk, and then I realized. She said she her computer was at D. I said, "Go back and go get it." Well, there, there's this natural longing. There's this, there's this, um, this drive for people to connect with one another. We're social creatures, and we we need that for for our well being. And a coffee house, um, I felt, is a wonderful way to reconnect the the community and therefore the the, the larger social fabric of our society. And, and in that sense, um, and we, we regard ourselves as, as part of the solution. Um, and like I said earlier on, when my wife Karen and I decided to create Key and Coffee, is we, we really felt that we wanted to be the difference that we believed in, in every way. And creating that, that, that social and cultural dynamic in the coffee house and also operating in a... Um, environmentally and socially sustainable manner. That's that was very important to us. Um, I source um, at any given time fifty to seventy percent of our coffees are either fairly traded or organic. The um, the packaging for the coffee itself for the coffee beans is one hundred percent biodegradable. Oh um, yeah, that, corn, corn uh, made from corn or what? No, the the the, the bags for the coffee for the coffee yeah. beans themselves are entirely biodegradable. That's something that no other coffee operator provides nowadays. I heard um, the cups also. And well, the, the 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 clear cups for the cold beverages are made from the PLA corn. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's a corn plastic. Um, there's still a, a great deal of debate about the 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 viability of the biodegradability of those yeah, cups. Yeah. And um, sad to say that they are made from genetically modified corn for probably for the most part to what degree um, is uncertain at this point. Uh. So is that really a viable alternative? We don't know, but we're, uh-huh. we're, we're experimenting with that. But in every manner that we're able to at Key and Coffee at this point, we're we're using our our financial resources to buy fin- uh, socially and environmentally sustainable um, 
products. Uh, we utilize in every situation that we can local, small, independent businesses as suppliers. For example, our, our pastries are made by a small local yeah. quality bakery, Pacific Way Bakery. Our bagels are supplied yeah. by a wonderful bagel maker right down the street, Shirley's Bagels on 17th Street, the uh-huh. best in Orange County. Um, our dairy delivery uh, deliverer is an independent driver, um, so we're supporting yeah. and sustaining that. Uh, it's Altadena Dairy, yeah. of course, uh, the highest quality uh, yeah, yeah. milk product around. Um, then as much as we have our, our heart in the right place and our action in the right place with those things, we also uh, take extreme um, uh, initiative to make sure that our waste stream is properly managed. Uh, we don't throw everything into the landfills hmm. uh, the way that other coffee operators do. We recycle. Uh, um, every, every coffee house puts out an, an enormous amount of, of waste. Sure. Uh, in in many different ways, are spent coffee grounds, for example. Huh. Um, you know, over over the course of a year, that's tons and tons of of spent coffee grounds um, that we've brewed our coffee from that ordinarily would go into the landfills. We ask people to take them home and till them back into the soils of their 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 yards and gardens. It makes a wonderful soil amendment and huh. and brings organic matter into the soil and. And recycles it. Yeah. Um, our our milk bottles, the plastic milk jugs. Um, a typical coffee company, uh, any coffee house spends nearly as much on milk as a cost of their goods every year as they do on coffee. And yeah. almost all of that milk comes in the form of plastic milk jugs. And everybody is throwing those into the dumpster, and they go straight to the landfills. We take great pains to keep ours separate and have them all recycled. So the plastic of the milk jugs is all recycled. You know, that's an extra effort of ours, but it's the right thing to do. And we do it simply for that um, at our own expense. Uh, Our cardboard, it all gets recycled. Um, Probably in the course of a year, we could fill the entire volume of our coffee house with broken down cardboard boxes. That's how much a typical coffee house goes through of cardboard in a year. Everybody throws it into the landfills. We make sure ours gets recycled. Newspapers. Oh, yeah. People love to read newspapers in coffee houses, and then they leave them. We We have stacks and stacks of newspapers that all gets recycled. So we take great pains to be responsible for our waste stream as much as we do for the products that we purchase. It's it's all intended to be part of the solution. You know, we we at Key and Coffee, we really want to be part of the dynamic of change rather than just keeping business at a status quo. And I'm often invited to speak at Zero Waste Conference uh-huh. and other in environmental conferences as a small business owner because the 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 general thought is by businesses small businesses that hey we're too small to make a difference and of course that's the the same um uh resignation that people have mm-hmm. on an individual you know what what difference am i going to make i'm too small to make a difference in this in the big picture but that's actually not, not true. true whatsoever you know, it's it's the individual ultimately that makes a difference. It's the grassroots movements right. that drive the bigger organizations and the bigger social change. 
ultimately. Sure. And it starts on the individual basis. And as a small business like Key and Coffee, you know, we're just one coffee house, but we're going to be part of the 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 paradigm of change rather than keeping things as they are. Have you had community events in the store? Uh, I know you've had music uh, musicians play there. Well. Uh, Sadly, yeah. um, the the city of Newport Beach, where we're located, prevents us from having an entertainment permit. So oh. I, I can't officially have a, a music program, as it were, as much as I enjoy that. Um, I, I thought I'd heard music. Yeah, right from, you know, from yeah. time to time, musicians yeah. bring an instrument. I'm, yeah. you know, I can't stop them or, or don't yeah. necessarily need to stop them if they start playing. Um, yeah. Everybody enjoys it. Yeah. But officially, um, we don't have a music program. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, that's too bad. I've seen you around the store, uh, um, I mean, fixing the lights and doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, <laughs> and uh, does the whole family get involved? Uh, of course. You know, we're, we're a small family. It's it's my wife, Karen, and our, our son, Kian, who's nine years old. Um, you know, at, at his age, I was I was picking coffee on my family's farm, Um uh, you know, Kean comes in and helps out in the in the way that he does on his own initiative. But um, <laughs> I'm not going to be forcing him into the business. It's going to be his own choice, and I'll support whatever he decides to do. But you know, we yes, we're we're a small family business. What my, he, my wife yeah. and I, we we were the owners, and we we uh, we do all tasks. What does he think of the store being the shop being named after him? Um, I I think um, for for him he's um, his his experience is too range is too limited to understand generally what what that means. Um, it's just what he's growing up with, and it's just kind of is what it is. So it's a fun thing. I I suppose so. I'm sure yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Cool. The uh, I do want to get to our fair trade. What do you what does it mean when it says it's fair trade coffee? Well, well, fair trade um, is intended to to imply that the coffee farmer and not necessarily the the workers on the farm, but one would hope that yeah. they they would be included in that in that description. But it doesn't seem to always happen. But that they get paid a, uh, a fair compensation for their efforts and. In other words, they're going to be getting a premium, but sadly, um, the, it's you know that that ideal isn't always as manifest in reality as as one would like. Um, I, I think in most cases, the um, the the workers on the farms are still shortchanged, um, while in many cases, perhaps the farmers themselves make out okay. But some of the fair trade organizations that regulate and certify fair trade have have become sort of the the azots or the replacement middlemen themselves. Oh, I see. Yeah, they're the big names, and so yeah, it's now, a good housekeeping seal of approval. Yeah, <laughs> I I want to speak from personal experience once again, having grown up on a small coffee farm that that my family had in in Guatemala, Central America, that. The, the 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 small farmer that are growing coffee in in the highlands of the tropics um, they they tend to be very passionate farmers they care a lot about 
what they do and and they they know that they can get a premium for their coffees if they produce them well and they also um, are great caretakers of their land because they know that if they're going to be around for the long term and if the the land is going to not only sustain them but their children they have to take good care of it and and uh, do good good farming practice and they also know that in order to produce coffees that are going to get them a better premium on the market they have to take good care of their their workers they have to the to the to the extent that their workers are actually going to care about what yeah. goes on on the farm, uh, in the in the situations that I've seen where the farmers don't take care of the workers, the workers tend to be mig- migratory, and they know that the the following week they're going to be working on another farm, and the week after that uh, another yeah. farm yet. So they don't really have a vested interest in the farm at, at any particular farm they're working at. They're migrant workers, whereas the farmers who really do take care of their workers and of their workforce mm. they 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 tend to make sure that their medical needs are are attended to that the schooling and education and well-being of the farmers or the workers children are attended to in some degree and i've seen a lot of that all over the world in in the better coffee growing regions uh, where that is carried out and done because simply because it makes long-term economic and, and viable sense um, to to go about your your farming practices in that manner, it's not because it's labeled fair trade. It's right. just the better way to do things. And there are a lot of farmers out there in the in the growing regions of the world who've who've seen the sense of that and so, practice that. So fair trade doesn't necessarily mean that the workers are treated better. Well, it's supposed to mean that, but yeah. uh, um, it it doesn't actually transpire on the ground that way in all cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's somewhat of an idealistic notion, but uh, and in defense of it, on the other hand, um, you know, I I would say that you know, without ideals, we're we're never going to make positive change in the world. So, For sure, yeah. uh, ideals like that should yeah. be pursued. They're worthy ideals, but you know, as flawed as as they they may be at times, but as long as an I, I, uh, ideal prevails, then I think there will always be people motivated to to do the right thing for the right reasons and to improve on 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 these kind of concepts and ideals. Uh, in the last uh, two issues of uh, Orange County Voice, there's been a couple of articles on coffee, and one of them t- uh, is by Sarah Mosco, and uh, the title is, Is Your Coffee Green? How to Find Your Eco-Responsible Coffee Shop. And uh, it gives kudos to Keen's Coffee and critiques uh, Starbucks and the other chains. Uh, it says, at Starbucks, the standard uh, menu it lists two shade-grown and two certified organic coffees. And one in-store tea is certified organic. And he says, uh, she says, uh, there's no standard for what merits the label shade-grown coffee. Uh, a grower might make the claim based on a few token trees. Yeah. What, what is sh- why is shade-grown important? Well, uh, let, let me say one other brief yeah. um, thing about an article like that. Not that one specific necessarily, because there are many articles like that in general and um there 
they're making an attempt, and I know this writer did, Sarah, because I talked with her uh, many times, spent many hours with her, um, trying to communicate the 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 right information um, because each one of these um, issues like shade grown fair trade organic uh, sustainable they're they're really very heavily laden terms and more often than not they're really diluted and dumbed down for mass consumption in the in the mass consumer not anything of their fault uh, doesn't really understand what a lot of these things mean and there's a lot of interpretation and a writer of an article like this has a real challenge yeah in distilling the essence of a lot of these uh, concepts and, and ideals down to a consumer level. And they're, they're all very, very extensive. And when you talk about shade grown, um, there's, there's a topic in itself that I could talk um, extensively about for well over an hour. <laughs> um, we have a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, okay. <laughs> it, it, I guess it, it 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 begs a response. Um, uh, in in some parts of the the coffee growing world, coffees are generally grown under shade trees for issues that are or for reasons that are more practical to the farmer rather than the issue that's been made of it. Uh, shade grown um, coffees have come about because of the, the Smithsonian uh, Migratory Bird Society and the Audubon Society that wanted to uh, see to that um, the kind of uh, environments, the, the shade canopy um, environments, you know, the, the, the tropical shade trees are maintained for the purposes of, of sustaining migratory birds. Um, in the parts of the world where shade trees are utilized it wasn't intended by the farmer at all to be <laughs> about the birds it was about taking care of the coffee trees in uh -huh. a manner that you know sheltered the coffee trees to produce ideal coffee uh -huh. um, and then again there's many parts of the world that grow great coffees where there really are no shade trees um, because in the natural surroundings, uh, they don't the, the natural world doesn't provide shade trees yeah. in areas of, of Africa or or Brazil where a lot of coffee is grown. Naturally, there are no shade trees in those environments, and yet oh. those coffees are often grown in, in, in um, organic manners and environmentally sustainable manners, and yet there are no shade trees. So, oh, I see. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a very, very, very... Uh, heavily laden term and very subjective. And again, oh, yeah, we, we could spend hours on this one. Well, actually, our time is up. I'm sorry to say uh, we'll have to continue this conversation in future. Thank you very much, Martin um, D uh, Diedrich, uh, for coming in of Keen Coffee. And you can find information on his website, which is keencoffee.com. K-E-A-N. K-E-A-N, coffee.com. We're on um, 17th Street and Westcliff Drive down in, in Newport Beach, right off of Irvine Avenue. So we're close by. We're in the local community. We're a small independent roaster. Uh, excellent coffees. And it's right down the street from others, I think, uh, if you drive past the, I think, that same street. Yes, yeah, 17th yeah, Street. the market, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, Dan, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully yeah. we can do more of this. Yes, we will. We look forward to it. Thank you. 
This is Dan Sang signing off for Subversity. We've talked about Starbucksization and the oasis that has been formed in uh, Newport Beach. Uh, an oasis for coffee drinkers, coffee lovers, and for people passionate about coffee at Keen Coffee. This is Dan Sang signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.